Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. It is March the 8th, and uh, I should turn the screen on. There we go. It's March the 8th. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. We have a bunch of stories that we're going to move through rapid fire, and then we are going to be joined by the none other incomparable Sarah Biggs, Politico, and strategist. And we're going to have us a little bit of a chat about... Uh, She's had quite a week, too. So we're going to get right into it because, like I said, there is a whole lot to talk about, even though it's only been three days since our last show. That's how quick Alberta politics moves these days. To start with, we're going to kick off with sort of the big announcement that came today. Very well-timed, clearly, deliberately so, from the Alberta NDP. And what they announced today is that as part of their uh, election platform, their campaign, they're going to be funding fully covering prescription uh, contraception. So the things that we're, we're, we're talking about are all the different types of contraception that women use that are historically prescribed and that do carry a cost. A lot of people's benefits programs don't cover the cost of contraception. And depending on the type of contraception and different things work better for different women, it can get really expensive really, really quick. So the fact that the NDP has brought this promise to the table after, you know, it's, it's been a few weeks where people have been saying, so you've said you're going to fix healthcare. You've said that you're going to fix the economy. How are you going to do all these things? Give us something substantial. This is something substantial that the NDP have unquestionably started the, the, the week off with. So this is, a, this is an exciting development. It's going to be fascinating to see how, if at all, the UCP decides to respond to this. Although Daniel Smith was quoted in a news article today as saying that, uh, you know what, this is just corporate welfare, corporate subsidies. Which, given the fact that Daniel Smith is the one who is advocating for uh, a little program you may have heard of, certainly if you've you know, been any following this show for any length of time, a little program called Our Star, where she wants to give uh, oil and gas companies millions, if not by some estimates, billions of dollars in order to get them to clean up wells that they're supposed to clean up anyways. But paying for contraception for women, which, by the way, isn't just used for contraception. There's a lot of things that women get prescribed contraception for, like the birth control pill, that aren't necessarily just about birth control it's important to realize that so this is a this is an important step forward and we'll see what comes of it next moving on from there though we got to talk a little bit more about the budget now we're going to have some we're going to be continuing the budget conversation for for a little while here because it's an important conversation and one of the things that uh, we're very excited to be able to say that we did this week is we sat down for a conversation with economist Dr. Trevor Toome. And that's going to be part of one of our episodes that we're going to be releasing on one of the days that we don't do a live show. Um, So probably about a week, week and a half for that one. Uh, But it's a very uh, important conversation that we had with Dr. Toome where he highlights not only the the strengths and weaknesses of the, uh, the budget, but also some things that Alberta could do that could stabilize the budget a little bit, that could stabilize Alberta's economy a little bit. And some of those things you probably won't be surprised by. Some of them 
they, they definitely land themselves a little bit more in the controversial side of things for sure. But there were some other things that came up with the budget that are important to, to talk about. To start with, there's a significant amount of controversy generated over the fact that the Calgary didn't get a whole lot of money for the budget. Uh, there's been multiple op-eds written about the fact that uh, it appears that UCP MLAs and ministers are being quite quiet about the fact that uh, the Calgary downtown was largely left out of the budget. Well, they're not the only ones. And there was some controversy that came with that too. Because Daniel Smith said, oh, you know what? They didn't ask for any money. What are you going to do? If you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. That's just how it works. We got priorities. We can't just loop in everybody. But it turns out that, in fact, um, Mayor Gondek did back in November. She sent a letter to the government. And in typical, just perfect Daniel Smith fashion, it, Daniel Smith was CC'd. So not only did an official request go in from the government, uh, from the municipal government of Calgary, but it went into the right channels and the Premier of Alberta was CC'd, but she claims that it never happened. So that's super fun. But it wasn't just the mayor that was unhappy about this situation. The uh, Chamber of Commerce came out pretty strong, the president of the Chamber of Commerce did. It was very clear. Zero is an insult. That's a quote. So the Calgary Chamber of Commerce was quite clear that they were very disappointed, very frustrated with the lack of uh, funding to help support the downtown core. Now, it's also important to take into context with this particular conversation that when we're talking about the, the downtown core, we're seeing that this is an area that Daniel Smith is very, very interested in, not just in Calgary, but in Edmonton as well. Because in Calgary, in order to combat the, uh, the civil unrest, the problems, all of that stuff. Uh, she deployed sheriffs. Revitalizing the downtown core could very easily be a big part of the solution to that civil unrest problem. Nonetheless, didn't happen. Moving on from there. And this is a big one. This is very exciting. It's only three months late. But here we are. The first shipment of the children's Tylenol and Advil from the off-brand company that was started by Dr. Oz's family. It still hurts me that I can say that and be accurate. The first shipment arrived. Now, this is after months and months and months of people saying, where's the drugs at? Where's the drugs at? Where's the drugs at? Where's the drugs at? And poor Minister Copping has been standing up in multiple press conferences, and he's been saying, I feel optimistic. Well, apparently... The order, that this chunk of the order, arrived last week, and it's 27, 270,000 bottles. Now, that sounds like a lot of bottles, but it's really important to keep it in context, because the actual order was for 5 million bottles. There's a whole lot of this off-brand children's Tylenol and children's ibuprofen, or Advil, that was ordered back in December and screwed up repeatedly you may remember we've talked about it on the show before where the initial order was placed daniel smith was like it's gonna be here no time her, her chief right hand guy rob anderson was like planes on the runway y'all this was back in december it's now that's right march 8th um rob anderson said hey you know what 
we've got planes on the runway. Meds are going to be arriving. We're solved the crisis. Well, it took a long time for them to actually start arriving. It was only a couple of weeks ago that the first batch arrived. And that only arrived because they changed how it was going to be used. In the original press conference, Daniel Smith said, you know what? We're going to get these drugs. They're going to go to pharmacies. Uh, we're going to address the shortage of children's Tylenol right away. It's going to be into the hands of Albertans, into the hands of scared moms and dads. That's what these drugs are for. And then if we have leftovers, we'll sell them to the rest of Canada. Problem was, there was a bunch of things that they forgot to do in order to import these drugs. First of all, the manufacturer of the drugs had to get licensed to do all the things which they weren't licensed to do at the time. They then had to meet all of the product requirements. Those product requirements included not only childproof caps, because for children's medication that's sold over the counter, you have to have childproof caps. Also included bilingual labels. So you have to have labels in English and French. Now, a lot of people said, ah, this is Alberta, though. Why do we care about English and French? It's all going to be for Alberta. But again, it's important to remember, we're talking about 5 million bottles of medication that we can't use in Alberta. There's only like 4 point something million people in the entire province. And most of those people don't take children's medications. So part of the plan, as I mentioned earlier, was for Daniel Smith to sell the medication to the rest of Canada. Medication, by the way, that she openly admits the taxpayers of Alberta paid it a premium on. So we paid more than market value for these drugs. So it's really important to be able to recoup some of the money to be able to have labels that would allow it to be sold across the country. But those two things didn't happen. So they pivoted to, you know what? We'll put it in hospitals. We can get an exemption to just have the meds in hospitals. So the first batch of these meds were for hospital use only. This is the second batch. We're coming up to half a million bottles here. Still four and a half left to go, roughly. Um, but this is the second batch. This is the batch that should, in theory, be able to be put on shelves in pharmacies across the province. Now, again, there's some big questions around this. The first one is, who wants them? The supply chain issues that we saw back in November and December have largely been resolved. You can go into most pharmacies right now, and if you can't get children's Tylenol or children's ibuprofen right off the shelf, all you have to do is go up to the pharmacist and say, hey, can I get a bottle of the good stuff? And they will give you a bottle of children's Tylenol or children's ibuprofen. So it exists. It's out there. It's ready to go. So what pharmacy is going to want to get a hold of this off-brand medication when their supply chain for the branded stuff that people are comfortable with, the stuff that people are familiar with, when that stuff is already on the shelves? The second question that has, as of yet, gone unanswered is very simply, so how much did this all cost? And we still don't have an answer to that. The one silver lining that we might be able to look at with this whole situation is given that the batches are coming in kind of fits and starts. So we got our first batch. It's 270,000 bottles. That's a, that's a start. Maybe they could space the shipments out over a couple of years. Because if they don't, and we get an additional... Four and a half million bottles 
of chill off brand children's Tylenol and ibuprofen. Um, not only is it going to be challenging to sell all of that to all of the other provinces who presumably already have deals with a lot of their supply chains in regards to obtaining these drugs anyways, but there is also the question of expiry. So hopefully these don't all come dumped in one giant batch because that would be certainly suboptimal. Another big story that made the news this week had to do with municipal taxes that are owed by oil companies. Make a very long story short, one of the concerns that municipalities have been raising, particularly rural municipalities who are hard up for, for money these days in a lot of ways, one of the things that they've been saying is, hey, we've got all of these oil companies that have been using the land in our, our cities and towns. Um, they're supposed to be paying us property taxes. They haven't been paying us property taxes. The numbers are in the hundreds of millions of dollars that are currently owed to municipalities. The last number that I heard, and I'm just pulling this one off of a, a radio program that I was listening to earlier today, is over 300 and in the neighborhood of $350 million that's owed to municipalities and back taxes that oil and gas companies haven't paid. It's not a small number. And municipalities have been saying, hey, maybe some enforcement from the province would be great. If we could get that, that'd be delightful. Well, the province issued a statement. And cherry picking to the little bit of the best part, the vast majority of companies in oper operating in Alberta's energy sector pay their local property taxes, but some have not, leaving municipalities with hard decisions about raising taxes for other taxpayers or cutting services. We will be in direct contact with delinquent companies, reminding them of their tax responsibilities. Our government will continue to work with municipalities and other and the RMA to explore other options for tax recovery, including ways to promote payment agreements and provide specific direction to the Alberta energy regulator within its regulatory framework. So it sounds like the most that the province is going to do at this point is consult some more and they might make some angry phone calls. We know that from the, the, the COVID stuff, Danielle Smith, she does like to make her, her angry phone calls. Moving on from there. Last episode this is kind of fun. It's a little bit fun. Um, last episode, we did a, a brief little segment where we talked about the fact that there was a candidate who had been kind of sort of announced. The announcement came from uh, Dave Cornier's uh, Dave Berta site. And it was actually not even the announcement that he was making. He was like, hey, we've got a bunch of nomination updates here. And there's this one that got nominated. And there's this one that got nominated. And we noticed that there was a name on there that has had some interesting positions on things and we shared a couple of those tweets last episode uh, he's he's advocated for the sovereignty act uh he's advocated for um natural immunity to covid just a few months ago he was door knocking and selling memberships for the danielle smith campaign there's some other really spicy um tidbits across the internet where he claims to be able to uh, detect um, asymptomatic carriers of disease just through sense of smell. Um, allegedly, there's a post in circulation where he says that uh, Rachel Notley uh, and one of her right-hand lieutenants should be charged with uh, a variety of crimes and, and not allowed to run in the election. There's a lot going on here. Um, we made some jokes. We, we, we posted the tweets. We had a little bit of fun. 
and we've been kind of playing with the fact that in a lot of, I mean, we look at what the NDP did here in Calgary when there was a candidate who had said one controversial thing. Uh, within 24 hours, they were removed from the NDP's roster for the upcoming election. The Alberta Party was kind of moving a little bit slow, but good news, they pulled the trigger. Barry Morishita released a statement saying, Shelly Wang has been disqualified as a candidate for failing to uphold the terms of our agreement. We take our service commitment seriously and hold all candidates to the very high standards the Alberta Party accepts. A wide range of opinions uh, and perspectives. However, the fundamental principles endorsed by the membership and accepted by the candidate are non-negotiable. The Alberta Party takes a thoughtful approach to every issue, particularly those that involve people in such a direct way. We solve problems by gathering facts and engaging with all relevant stakeholders. This method serves the process well. It should be noted that the process for vetting candidates has been improved. So there's some good news as a result. And we are confident that this situation will not be repeated in the future. We're not going to share any of the, the tweets uh, <laughs> that have come from, from Mr. Wang's in, uh, account in the meantime. He seems a little angry, though. Uh, his, his thank you to us feels a little sarcastic, feels like maybe he doesn't mean it. Um, but apparently we pulled back the veil on the, the centrist Alberta party. And we've been getting no shortage of DMs from people saying, how did you pull back the veil exactly? We don't know. But uh, props to the Alberta party for uh, addressing this candidate that seemed a little um, dissonant to their, their stated values. So there's that. On Monday, Grand Prairie held a big deal vote. Grand Prairie has been in the news for the last little while in regards to policing because one of the one of the things that was been talked about lately is the province said, hey, that's a real nice RCMP detachment you have there. Be a real shame. If something happened to it. We're just going to leave 10 million dollars over here. You know, whatever happens next happens next. Well, the city council for Grand Prairie decided that they're going to get rid of the RCMP and transition to their own municipal police force. Now there's a lot of debate around this particular issue. The, the first one is everybody's going, this is going to cost way more. And also why are Alberta taxpayers footing the bill for this transition? There's some, there's some concern that's been raised around that. Um, but one of the other issues that's come up in a couple of um couple of Facebook threads and in a couple of presentations, apparently, has to do with the fact that Grand Prairie is not an island unto itself. And especially when we're talking about northern Alberta, there's a lot of uh, crime that overlaps. The One of the articles that uh, we're referring to referred to the fact that it, Grand Prairie is part of a, a crime corridor. Basically, the idea behind this is that there's a lot of people who move back and forth between Grand Prairie and sort of the satellite towns all around the Grand Prairie area. One of the benefits of having the RCMP there is it makes it very, very easy for detachments to communicate with each other and advise each other of crimes and do cross uh, investigations and all of that sort of thing. When you start to overlap jurisdictions, when you start to overlap organizations, that inevitably gets bumpier. The communication slows down. That's just a reality of the thing. Doesn't seem to have been enough, though, to take the shine off that uh, 
that 10 million or just the ability to, for the, the city of Grand Prairie to have their own police force. Now, this is going to be a long transition and there's still a lot of information. It's certainly something that we're going to be following over the next little bit because it does set a very interesting tone going into the provincial election. Moving on from there. And this is just sort of a, an interesting little one. We just wanted to share it because it's 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 interesting. We've cropped out the name of the person who posted this. The original is very easy to find if you go looking, but we don't want to be responsible for anyone getting doxxed or anything like that. Um, so this person put up the post, just received an unwelcome donation request from Raj Sherman's campaign for Edmonton White Mud. The only way he has my email was from his last time as leader of the Alberta Liberal Party. I support the NDP MLA Rocky Pacioli for two reasons. I'm now an NDP voter and I used to work with her husband, Owen. Needless to say, this pissed me off. Now, this is interesting because uh, Ross Sherman has had a malleable, let's go with, political career. He was the leader of the Liberals. We saw in the UCP leadership race uh, over the summer, he, he bought himself a fancy truck, got it all Ross Sherman for leadered with the decals and everything like that. And then the UCP said no. And he wasn't allowed to run for leader. Well, he since announced that he is running and he's gotten the nomination for the UCP in Edmonton White Mud. He's got an extensive political history. One would presume that it's a possibility that he's held on to his database from his from his years. Now, the way the data is supposed to be stored and taken care of, it's not really supposed to happen. There hasn't been a whole lot of chatter or investigation about this, but it certainly starts an interesting little precedent as we head into the next provincial election. Moving on from there. Yesterday was a busy little day. Yesterday morning, we had a little tweet that we put out saying, what's the over-under on if Shandy, Tyler Shandro, uh, gets his hearing before the election. Seems like something that should be resolved before voters make up their minds. Maybe no. Nope. Didn't take very long after that tweet before one of the amazing journalists who works in the province of Alberta, to be clear, once again, we're not journalists. Uh, but one of the amazing journalists found the answer. Johnny Wakefield. The Alberta Law Society has set dates for the continuation of the At Chandro's contract hearing. They are, in fact, after the provincial election. The statement that they got from the Law Society, a three-day hearing for Mr. Shandro took place from January 24th to January 26th. The hearing did not conclude with the allotted hearing days and additional days are required to hear testimony from the remainder of the witnesses and submissions from the parties. The hearings will resume on June 12th to 14th, 2023. So lots of, of room after the election. We got to talk about this, though, because there was this glorious, glorious thing that happened. Chandra also had a bit of a, a busy week. He announced some new firearms legislation. That is, there is some fascinating debate going on in the Alberta law Twitter space in regards to um, uh, the firearms piece. So there's there's some interpretations that say part of the bill that's been put forward actually looks like it has to do with the collection of firearms. So taking firearms away from people. We're not legal experts here. We're going to we're going to wait a little while to see how that pans out. But he posted this picture. It was a video where he was 
showing off his very best ceiling shooting skills. We said it before, we'll say it again. The creatives in this province. If there's one thing that political, the, the one silver side to political turmoil, it's that the creatives show up and show up they did because we were sent this little little image it's called a png and basically the way that it works is the background is transparent the foreground you can put on top of any image that you like and there was no shortage of disappointments we put a few of our favorites up here we got tyler shandro shortly after the first legislative session ended bill eight a lot of people were really angry about that because it rolled back protections on GSAs. Here's Tyler Shander with the super soaker in the uh, reflection pond at the legislature. He's spraying down all the MLAs and ministers having a great time. We've got Tyler Shandro riding shotgun with his super soaker and Jason Kenny's big blue truck. We've got Tyler Shandro getting his very best summer ever with the official cap and cigar and uh, presumably budget whiskey. Speaking of budget whiskey, we've got Tyler Shandro sitting down for dinner at uh, doing some skeet shooting, apparently, on the, the Sky Palace. And then we've got Tyler Shander, of course, opening up the very best summer ever. If you're looking for that graphic, it's still on our timeline. We would love to see what people come up with because this is just way too much fun. A couple more we're going to talk about real quick here, and then we're going to begin and bring it in, as promised. Sarah Biggs. There's been some talk about the EMS situation in the province of Alberta recently. We've had uh, HSAA President Mike Parker on the show, and he's laid it bare. We also had uh, paramedic uh, Ryan Middleton, who came on the show, and he shared some deeply alarming data that he's been collecting through Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, got to be clear, Ryan was speaking only for himself. Also got to be clear, for the next couple of minutes, I want to be very clear. I'm speaking only for myself. Um, these are my opinions. They do not represent anybody other than myself or my employer. That being said, for anybody who's unfamiliar, um, I work professionally as a, as a paramedic. And we've seen some reports that came out this week. We've seen some decisions, allegedly, from the provincial government that came out this week. The first one that we need to talk about is a new report from the Parkland Institute called Lights and Sirens, the Critical Condition of EMS in Alberta. Now, this is a research paper that was put together over a not small period of time revolving a lot of interviews. Uh, it was done by Michael K. Corman, and it highlights a lot of the problems that are going on within EMS. And it really does a good job of highlighting there are cultural issues that are going on and there are long-term systemic issues that are going on that are going to require not only an investment of money, but an investment of time to address. Now, the other piece of the EMS conversation that we have to talk about this week came from the former Premier of Alberta and leader of the opposition, Rachel Notley. And I, I, I got to say, I got a little bit of a kick out of this because we've talked about the fact that there's this anonymous account uh, at YYC Cowboy, who has been doing threads on the status of the healthcare system for quite some time. And he actually leaked this well before Rachel Notley and the NDP leaked this. So credit and props where credit and props are due. Not saying, just saying. But Rachel Notley tweeted out the, the screen capture of this email 
And the framing of the NDP was, let's go with problematic. I'm going to get Sarah's, Sarah Biggs' take on this in just a second here because this is a comms thing, and comms is kind of her game. But uh, the framing on this was really quite something because what Rachel Notley said, the email you see here was leaked to the official opposition. It details a dangerous new practice being implemented by Danielle Smith and the UCP where paramedics will be forced to abandon patients at the emergency room after 45 minutes. First of all, that's not at all what the email says. Second of all, it's very clear in the email that there were, at the time that the email was released, plans that were published to address the offloading of patients. At the core of this whole thing is something called hallway weights. And what it boils down to is one of the big problems that paramedics have had to navigate over the last decade plus has to do with the fact that they show up at a hospital and because hospitals are full and emergency rooms are full, Instead of them being able to offload their patient at the hospital and leave them with somebody there, they said, you know what? We've got this delightful hallway down there. Why don't you take a stretcher down there? Maybe we'll see if we can get you a bed. You can put your patient on and you're just going to hang out for as long as we need you to. And there are no shortage of stories, documented stories. Uh, Ryan Middleton has very compelling data about this where paramedics were spending their entire shift inside of a hospital. Here's the bottom line. And I made this argument on my personal Twitter. I'm going to make it again here. So I'm editorializing like hell. But I think it's really important that it needs to be said. And I think it's really important that it needs to be understood. There is a term in the, the first responder universe. That term is MCI. What an MCI is, the definition of an MCI, is when the resources of the responding agency are exceeded by what is being asked of them by what they have to deal with. Most people would associate an MCI with something like a plane crash or a building collapse or an earthquake or the floods in Calgary were an excellent example of an MCI. It's when the system can't handle the number of patients that it has to deal with. Let's be clear. That's what's happening in Alberta more days than not. And it's not happening because of a plane crash. It's not happening because of a flood. It's not happening because of a building collapse. It's happening because the system has been neglected for way too long. As the report from the Parkland Institute very clearly spells out, this is a system, the entire healthcare system, not just EMS, but this is a system that has been asked to run at almost 100% efficiency, if not higher for a very, very long time. And the entirely predictable outcome of that is that people have burned out. Healthcare workers are exhausted. And as we have an aging population in this province and across the country, which we do, more and more people are needing to access the healthcare system. When you combine that with physicians who have moved out of the province, and certainly a number of general practitioner physicians or family doctors who the number of those people has not kept up with the population of the province that needs to access them. There's no shortage of stories across the province of Alberta where people are talking about how difficult it is to find a family doctor. That's just a reality. This is a system that is in an MCI every single day. 
The good news is there's actually science that says how we should be approaching an MCI. And the very first thing that you have to do is do triage. A lot of people think triage happens at a hospital, and that's just not true. That's not the first. It is true. Sorry. But it's not the first place that triage happens. The very first place that triage happens is with paramedics out on the street, because not only do paramedics help to determine which people need to go to hospital and which people maybe don't. But they also help determine which hospitals those people should be going to. What's the most appropriate facility for them? That is the most important component in any MCI is protecting that triage. So it is known how many patients there are and it is known how the resources should be allocated. Triage is the number one thing that has to happen. And for too long in this province, triage hasn't happened and it hasn't been protected the way that it's supposed to because paramedics have been kept sitting and waiting in hospitals. The really ugly truth, in my opinion, speaking only for myself, is that we have allowed our healthcare system to degrade to a point where it simply can't deal with the number of patients and the number of Albertans that need to access it. The really horrible truth is that means some people are not going to get the best level of care that on a perfect day they'd be able to get. The question then becomes, how do we determine who gets what care? And the answer to that question is triage. The other thing that's really important to realize is that there are no shortage of interventions that paramedics can deploy in the community that can save lives. If somebody accidentally takes a table saw to their arm and they sever an artery, there are life-saving treatments that a paramedic can do that can not only save that person's life, but potentially save their arm. If they don't get an ambulance in a timely fashion because that ambulance is sitting in a hallway, they could die. There's no shortage of examples of medical situations where if people don't get access to care as quickly as possible in the field by Qualified paramedics, they could die preventably, easily preventably. It sucks. It sucks that our healthcare system is broken. It sucks that our healthcare system is overwhelmed. And it sucks that this is the situation that we as a province find ourselves in. But it doesn't change the fact that part of navigating our way out of that situation is going to be making not only systemic changes, but doing what needs to be done in the short term in order to make sure that the most good can be done for the greatest number of people. Triage is hard. I've had to do triage in the field in real life before, and it is an incredibly difficult thing to decide who's going to live and who's going to die. That is not a choice that I would wish on anyone. It has to be cold. It has to be calculating. It has to be based on evidence and it has to be not emotional. It is the absolute last thing that should be politicized by politicians on any side of the aisle or the political spectrum looking to make cheap 
political points. It's not appropriate and it's not okay. That's my editorial rant for this episode. We're going to bring in Sarah Biggs. And in just a little bit, we're going to open up the floor. I see we already have at least one person who's weighed in on Twitter spaces. I suspect I've probably pissed a few people off with that rant. I'm looking forward to hearing how I'm wrong. But in the meantime, Sarah Biggs, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Living the dream. Uh, yes. <laughs> my back hurts so much. You look a little rigid tonight. I have a slip disc and I made it worse when I was putting my baby in her car seat. Just in time. Just in time for a vacation. <laughs> That's not great. It's great. I'm okay. It's just really painful. It's, it is what it is. I'm all, it's fine. It's okay. okay. I've got medicine. I'll go watch mindless TV on my reclining chair. After. <laughs> and you're going on vacation soon, right? Yeah, three days. Three days. That'll be fun. I'm on the plane at 8 a.m. Sunday morning. I'm ready. I hope the, the, the back stuff's resolved uh, by then. Uh, yeah. You and I both. Because <laughs> I want to be able to enjoy a few drunk Because I, I usually don't drink. But, you know, a fresh mango drink. <laughs> Let me, let's start with, we'll work our way backwards. Well, I want to hear your best... I don't know, three, five minutes, whatever you want. I'm going to give it a, the floor to you. And then, you know, we've got a couple of other bonus topics we're going to get to. One of them has to be the Western Standard, Western Lowered Standard. I keep forgetting how to pronounce the name properly. Um, but we got to talk about them. And uh, we also got to talk about uh, this other little thing that we learned like two minutes before the show went to air. But to start with, not least tweet on the EMS situation. What do you make of it? so poor <laughs> so poor um you know it makes it the way it was presented I, I would have done i personally would have done it completely differently i would have not addressed it the way it was the picture was poor um you know you, you got money try to the thing is that it is really i have you and i talked about it and it is really misrepresenting how things will be handled, how, you know, you're not, paramedics will not just walk away from their patients if there's no, there's no support from them. Nurses will not abandon patients in the hallways. Uh, we never do that ever, ever. Well, I never did that. Um, we were talking about codes this week. We never coded. No one ever coded in the hallway. There's always room for trauma. There's always room for codes. It is important when we are talking about situations like paramedics, emergency care, um, you know, MCIs. I, you know, when I, I was a nurse, I, back in 2001, I, I was part of the MCI protocol for September 11th. Um, and never, ever, ever you present an issue about healthcare, which is a top issue in the province like that right now this way ever you put some context in it you ask more questions you cannot jump to conclusions i understand they have an election to win but they also need to understand that the public 
does not necessarily understand how it works in the background. And that paints the paramedics in a bad way, sort of, paints the nurses in a bad way, sort of, paints the whole hospital in a bad way. It's pretty much, well, you're SOL, we're going to dump you in the hallway and our mirror way we go. But guys, it's not how it's going to happen. Uh, nurses and paramedics have professional, you know, they have professional standards. You, it angers me because that was such, they could have presented it in such a better way. They could have talked to, you know, professionals and tried to craft their message and to hear, this is where we're at. What is the situation? What needs to be done? And will the patient, will the taxpayer suffer at the end of the day? It's very frustrating to see how they painted it. It's frustrating on both sides right now. You know, we have that policy that comes out and, you know, healthcare professionals right now are just trying to do their damn best. And what we're seeing right now is just piss poor sensationalism from political parties and trying to, one is trying to diminish the, the challenges that, you know, the healthcare system's going through right now. And the other one's just trying to throw everything everything in the wrench. It's what's wild to me and what's what's particularly, uh, you know, it, it the way that it was presented that that and, you know, I, I personally, again, speaking only for myself, I personally find the the use of uh, paramedics will be forced to abandon patients. The 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 notion that any healthcare professional, I don't care if you're a paramedic or a nurse or whatever, a dentist, um, the the notion that a healthcare worker would say best of luck ensuring that there was some sort of continuity of care without ensuring. And the other the other person, the other piece that I think is really important to um, sort of frame is in any emergency, in almost any emergency room, there are different types of beds. And the reality is, if there was an MCI today, if a, God forbid, a plane falls out of the sky today, the very first people who would some of the very first people who would be would find out about it would be all of the people who were in there with comparatively mild conditions. Part of the MCI when I was part of the MCI, um, you know, when September 11th happened, is that we emptied the emergency department. We redirected everybody, um, patients that were ambulatory, that were in the emergency because they didn't have access to. You know, family doctor, you know, for minor, you know, if you ate 12 corn on the cubs and you have gas and you're trying to convince us you have appendicitis, well, you, you might be redirected to an external clinic next door or in a different hospital, um, you know, because it did happen to me in the past that somebody ate 12 corn corn on the cobs and they were sure they were having appendicitis. Um, but, um, you know, what we did, because this was a real live, you know, it was an event. It was a lot of planes being redirected our way. Uh, we didn't know if it would be like heart attacks. And, you know, 
We didn't know if it would fall over the city. We, we knew nothing. There were threats right, left, and center. So what we did is that we emptied a full trauma department, a full emergency room. We, um, students were called in. Um, nurses from other departments were called in. And this unfolds over like two or three hours, right, before everybody starts arriving. Because as soon as the MCI is called, it doesn't, you know, the patients are not immediately in the hospital. So you have time to be able to try to accommodate. And I'm talking about my professional experience when I was practicing. But, you know, and then you wait and you have tags, green, yellow, and red. Those tags do exist. Oh, yeah. And you have the DNRs and you have body bags ready on the side. It is the reality. And, you know, if... Gosh, I just wish they would, both sides would be thinking long. It's, it's disheartening to see that's the kind of response we're expecting. We're seeing from the opposition or, and they're, they're government and waiting right now. That's really what they are. And if this is the kind, you know, I, I, I totally get it that, you know, they're trying to, to make political points on that. Keep going with the cows. Don't go on healthcare that way. Just don't. I, I'm. They could have, you know, they could have written a statement. They could have done one of their pressers because they're so good at doing pressers. There would have been multiple ways, but a very, very, you know, cloudy picture from a computer, from a cell phone being posted. And when you go in, you're trying to, you know, everybody was trying to make it bigger. And doesn't. don't, if you want to be taken seriously, Start acting like you want to win. Well, they could have just used the text from, like, A, they could have transcribed the text because that's real easy to do with even an iPhone now. Um, yes. But B, as I mentioned earlier, YYC Cowboy had the email like 24 hours before. Yeah. It, it was not breaking news. We all knew. Like, we all knew. Like, there's one thing I want to ask you about because this is, and I'm seeing this reflected in the comments a little bit. So I wanted to, to get your, yeah. your, on it i mean as much as and i'm i'm gonna crap on everybody here um yeah that's what we're doing to parties because here's the bottom line this is not a new problem this is a problem that has been known about it has been documented paramedics and healthcare workers have been trying to raise the alarm about healthcare hallway weights uh and hallway medicine for years so the ucp they get to they get to wear the last three and a half three three quarter years for sure. But guess what? The NDP had four years where they could have ended the practice too. They didn't. So everybody sucks. Let's just move on. But here's one of the here's what I wanted to ask you is um, I think one of the problems that we're seeing is that because there's been this artificial perception that the healthcare system's doing okay, and there's been that put forward one of the things that i've seen in this debate back and forth and it's in the comments right now is that uh oh this is going to put unreasonable pressure on this side or this is going to put unreasonable pressure on this side here's the hard truth there's unreasonable pressure on both sides already the question to me and it's it's cold it's math but the question to me is there's all of this unreasonable pressure everywhere yeah. 
how do we present how do we prevent the most loss of life and the answer to that question whether we like it or not is having that forward triage period that's it it's really just that simple it's cold and it sucks and hospital care is going to suffer until more nurses are hired no question until the systemic issues are are um, dealt with no question but do you think we're seeing the results of politicians and governments for the last i mean we can literally frame 20, this in 20, 30 years um, are, there, are there are there proverbial chickens kind of coming home to roost because they've downplayed this problem for so long and now that they're trying to go oh sh we got a problem here everybody's like what do you mean well they need they need to they need to, to stop thinking their, their poop doesn't stink. That's number one. They need to acknowledge the mistakes they have done in the past when they were in government. If you want to be a better government, you were part of the problem in the past. No matter what anyone says, that problem has been ongoing for decades, at least two, at least. So they need to acknowledge, you know, if I was the NDP, I would go back into how did I mismanage the EMS crisis and healthcare when we were in government. I would go back to the drawing table being like, okay, guys, when we were in government, this is what happened. This is what we should have done. This is our plan now. Acknowledging your past mistakes is number one because both parties have governed within the past eight years so it's got to be who will be able to you kind of almost have to do a little bit of a mea culpa okay yeah we really sucked last time we were in power here's what we're going to do next here's our comprehensive plan this is how much it is going to cost because cost is everything right now and they um, can even kick the ball back to the ucp where they could say hey you yeah. know what when we came into government in 2015, whoa, the PCs left us such a mess. We had yeah. so much that we had to catch up on. This was on the list. If only y'all had elected us for another four years, we would have been able to solve the problem. We didn't get to this. We will get to it this time. There's so many different ways that they could have positioned it instead of this. quite frankly denigrating healthcare workers yeah. and creating division on both sides. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Oops, I swore. That's what I have to say about that. Thanks for backing me up. Um, I want to get, I want to, I want to talk about the the little leaky thing and whether or not it's a big deal or a little deal. And then we'll talk about, I want to hear, because that letter to the editor, oh, you elite, you. Oh, um, <laughs> we'll get to that in a sec though. Before we get to that, we got a DM literally five minutes before we went to, to air, I guess. Is, yeah. I don't know what on the internet. Um, to, to the, the the digital we before we jacked into the matrix um <laughs> we're gonna have to work on the terminology and the elect is uh not in the premier's office anymore this is it so the person who was previously the i think it was principal secretary if i'm getting that right um to daniel smith previous president of the UCP senator elect for what that's worth i mean really it's it's an alberta pipe dream kind of like tmx but um 
very quietly has apparently left the premier's office. She's yeah. now uh, in a in a very different role. She's doing issues management for the the party um, and directing campaign operations. But even her own LinkedIn shows, as of February, she was out from the role with Danielle Smith's office. This is the second, by my count, major player in the conservative uh, UCP sandbox to exit in just a, a short period of time. Um, yeah, well, she exited, but she did not exit it. Everybody has their specialty, right? Um, some are campaigns, some are ops, some are comms, uh, some are, you know, a mishmash of everything. So from what I heard, and, you know, we can speculate as much as we want, but I'm just going to say this. Before Christmas, I was hearing that they were not on good talking terms. And I can see that. Um, Daniel Smith seems so easy to get along with. <laughs> Just jokes. Sure. Um, <laughs> but they were not apparent, you know, and then Matt, I believe Matt Solberg has left too, if anyone can. So I heard it was there until March. Um, well, Ryan has to been also left. Yeah, so that's yeah. three then. Yes, that's that would be three because I heard that Matt Solberg was going to see on only until March. Um, so yeah, so from what I heard, they were not on good speaking terms. Here's the difference, though. She has moved onto the operational campaign. So. Every campaign's had to do a transition plan. I'm going to talk to you about my transition plan. Well, we talk about it a lot. But so what was agreed on is that I would start as chief of staff. Then I would build a team, move on as principal secretary. And then after the budget is tabled, I would be moving on to the party side to campaign to focus on re-election. So it is an unusual move, no. But as she exited like the other ones, no. Because she's still with party. So there's a lot we can speculate on. There's a lot we can say. But it's not a full-on exit. It is not unusual to see things like that happen because that was discussed about me. If, you know, a miracle would have happened, I, you know, I would have, because um, we, we had to be ready just in case. And I'm hearing the far right right now, I mean, like, oh, at least we had a plan when we went in, right? <laughs> um, but no, so that was my role was being defined as chief of staff. Then I was moving on to principal secretary. And then after that, when the bid Budget's over when we took the government over the budget and everything is fine. I would have moved on on the party side of things and start campaigning. So, but there's always something a little sus. There is something a little, a little sus. There's always a little something a little sus. But is it unusual? No. Am I a little surprised? Yes. Because it's kind of a demotion. Anyways. Um, but you know, uh, 
Good luck, Erica. I always have good conversations with her. Always. Oh, here comes the right wing. <laughs> um, we we take back Alberta has entered the chat. Well, you know what, TBA? Try to do what I do for a living, plus dealing with your fucking bullshit every single week. And try to put yourself out there as much as I do and try to bring change as much as I do. And, you know, being worried about, you know, your own safety or your girl's safety or the trust that we're going on because we had enough that. So here's let's start commenting. Let's talk about the, the, and I'm going to warn you right now, uh, John, that's fascinating spelling of Jonathan and your last name, I feel like might not be real, but we'll run with it. Uh, if we start to cross the, uh, the line into hateful rhetoric, well, bye. Um, but, uh, Sarah Biggs, you and Dr. Dwayne Bratt wrote an editorial. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, it has to do with the history of take back Alberta. It has to do with the, the funding, let's say, uh, of take back Alberta, the fascinating ties to, of all things. Hold on. I just read the comment and I'm going to have an easy fit right now. Hold on. I was gonna make What's your name? Doehead. Yeah, that fits. Maybe you should have spe spelled your last name Do D O J D O U J H. I don't know. Would be maybe a little, you fat left activist. No, I've been a conservative carrying card member for a very long time. Probably more longer than you have been. You and I'm sorry if I'm fat, but yeah. I I had um, healthcare issues. I had a baby and I've been working way too much and not be taking care of myself. So I will kindly ask you to go fuck yourself tonight because I really had enough of that shit. I really do. You can't even do a fifth or a hundred of what I do in a day, running a business, having clients, not having enough time, trying to raise my kids properly, driving my kids to and back from school. Go fuck yourself, Jonathan. I had enough. You're not even a third of a man of what you think you are. Rent over. There we go. Uh, Take Back Alberta has connections to Lululemon. My I mean, hateful. I have contacted Jewish groups and I would expect an apology soon. Stop reading the comments, Sarah. Don't give them attention. That's what they want. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. What a fucking idiot. Take Back Alberta presents itself as a grassroots organization that has sprung up out of the need for democracy in uh, a natural way. But the reality is they haven't done that at all. They were beta tested, it appears, in British Columbia. They are funded by heavy corporate donors, the founder of Lululemon being one of them. Um, they are making it very, very clear that they want to not only infiltrate and control the UCP, but they also want to do the same thing at the municipal level, at the school yeah. board level. They've got a bunch of different things that they totally want to normal. do. Totally normal. What's that? Totally normal. Yeah, totally normal. It's, Did it's you know that they weren't calling volunteers tonight, cold call, to go uh, help their candidate in Calgary Lawhee? I, I heard didn't. that today. Yeah. So if anyone's involved in Calgary Lawhee. They're coming for you. They're coming for you. And this is an interesting thing because Dr. Dwayne Brad, who you wrote the column with, mm -hmm. he also uh, did an interview with Mark and his look uh, from 
RGD Media, where they talked about Take Back Alberta. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Brat really didn't pull any punches. Nope. It's very clear that uh, this is a this organization represents at the very least a, a mm. fundamental disruption to how democracy is done in the province of Alberta, if not a a, a takeover of it. Um, and there was a I wanted I wanted to give you the space to talk about the 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 letter to the editor that the the Herald published today. So Mike's all yours. You go. This is something that we've never seen before. Not since like social credit, right? We talked about it. I uh, dealt with the wrath of TBA last summer. I seen them in action. I've seen a lot of them slurring racial slurs at AGMs. I've seen them trying to intimidate candidates. I tried to, you know, when there's there was a lot of stuff going on. I've been on the receiving end every single time I was asked to, you know, go comment on CBC or something because apparently I'm a leftist. Um, probably a communist too. I wouldn't have to check my membership card. I'm not sure if I'm still, uh, you know, a member. Maybe I'm going to have to send them five bucks soon, but I'm too poor for that. Um, it needs to stop. The hate that we're seeing in Calgary right now is instigated by a lot of those individuals. The LGBTQ2S plus community right now cannot even fucking walk in our streets and feel safe because that those individuals call them groomers and pedophiles and everything in between because they have decided that their purity test was so good that they are the chosen ones to save Alberta from sin. I'm tired, tired to bring religion and God-given right. And you know what? What if God doesn't exist? Shocking. It's a faith. You know, one day I was talking with a rabbi of a community in Calgary, and I was like, Rabbi, what, what, what do you think, you know, what, what do you think about the Torah? It was like, Sarah, it's like, it was written for people that did not understand what was going on 2,000 years ago. People were turning towards religion to seek comfort and try to seek be, be, before we had science, before we had science. And now we have science. But those goobers that go after every single woman from Ottawa to Vancouver, because you know we're standing up to them, because we're tired of them, because we're worried about our safety, and we're worried of what kind of province we're gonna be living in if God forbid they're getting in power. Apparently, freedom of speech is just convenient when you fit with their narrative. I'm sick of it. There's no critical thinking. There's no rational debate. And what we did, we didn't attack them this weekend. We explained to Joe and Joanne that lives on the corner of the street that reads their Saturday newspaper what TBA is about. And I have a screenshot of David Parker himself saying, oh yeah, well, the fundraising numbers are false. 
we'll go back to that later. But, uh, you know, the article is correct. If you think that we don't come with that with receipts, if you think that we don't look like, guys, we have good reputations. You do not. You walk around in CAs, unannounced to candidates that you don't support, trying to pass the hat so you can get more money from people when the recession is terrible and trying to make them believe that, you know, Daniel Smith's going to listen to you and you're going to be leading government. Not how it works, but but if you would have a tiny little bit of civic education or less delusional thoughts, well, maybe you would be able to understand that. I'm so sick of it, Nate. They are brainwashing people and people. Look at the Queen Romana little fans there. They're distributing fake money and serving pharmacists for stopping to vaccinate people. Like, seriously, seriously, what is going on? What well, Did we got dropped on the head? Like, here's, what is? I think it's really important to highlight that this is this is a deliberate and sustained campaign. There's yeah. no question that Take Back Alberta is a deliberate well-coordinated, well-organized, sustained campaign to put certain people in high positions of influence. And some of them are very compelling speakers, I'm told. Some of them are extremely effective. I mean, clearly, just by the fact that we're talking about them right now, they are clearly effective organizers. They know yeah, how to They are their- good at what they're doing. They are. But they are using their wits and their smarts for the wrong cause. Why? Because they then like their lives were, you know, their like livelihoods were threatened. Guess what? I was working for the government when COVID hit. I was 12 weeks pregnant and I got laid off. Did you see me go to the barricades? No, you did not. I just worked harder and I made it work. And look what I'm doing today. I'm doing all right. But good God, people, give your head. I can't even... Feelings by some Albertans that they are being listened to. They are playing emotional games. They are playing. It's a very, very emotional game. It's a psychological game that they're playing. And that worries me. It worries me. The point that I was was trying to work my way towards. There's no question that Take Back Alberta is an organized, well-funded campaign that is trying to not only take over the, the the conservative and I'm air quotes in the hell out of this party in Alberta, but they are also there's questions. And I thought that Dr. Bratt did an excellent job of raising this, particularly in the conversation with, uh, with Mark and Hislop had to do with David Parker is a shareholder in the Western standard and the Western standard does a boatload of advertising for take back Alberta. It's also worth noting that the Western standard has been advancing a lot of these, uh, uh, I'm going to say hateful views. Uh, we saw, and I've, I'm going to reference this again. We saw somebody write a column for the Western standard that was full of tropes, that was full of dog whistles, that was full of hateful language, that was full of misinformation and falsehoods. Mm-hmm. And 
to that person's credit, they said they, they realized after the, the Twitterverse. And this is why when people say, you know, Twitter advocacy doesn't do anything. I disagree with that because I'm looking at the Alberta party this week and I'm going, eh, I think maybe it did. I'm looking at this particular column by this particular writer who then walked it back and apologized and admitted that he had done everything that he had done for clickbait to drive clicks, to drive internet traffic. That's the reason why he wrote the story the way he did. That speaks to how comfortable the Western standard is not doing journalism, pretending to do journalism, to spread this far right agenda. But it's not even just an agenda. It's a, no, it's a, trying it's, to be it's a reduction of all things that are progress uh it's it's like i don't know is recessionist a word because that's that's effectively what they're trying to do they're trying to go back to the good old days when you know the gays lived in fear in the closets and the immigrants they knew how to keep their mouths shut that's the kind of thing that they're pushing for and they're not saying it directly out loud because if they did the agenda would become crystally clear transparent but they're also not owning it. And that to me represents, that sums up my biggest beef with the Take Back Alberta folks and the, the Western Lowered Standard and all of them is that they refuse to just own it. I don't think anybody has ever accused the, the breakdown uh, or anybody who's been affiliated with the breakdown of like, ah, oh, but you didn't say what you mean. If you're reading something into, like, I love it where, how I can spend. We know such text. We know, we know how to read between the lines. Yeah, I can spend half an hour dunking on Rachel Notley and the NDP for a tone deaf, harmful communication strategy. And people will still, in the, in the, oh, you're with the NDP. I'm not with anybody, I'm not on any team. The breakdown is not affiliated with any political party. We don't take any money from any political parties. We get the we we enjoy the support that we enjoy. We enjoy through our Patreon page, which I'll plug in about five ten minutes. But that's it. We're not. That's all. Sorry if I get upset, guys. I I'm just really, you know, I don't even read your articles anymore because what for? Then they have their little friends writing letters to the editors because Brenda didn't like what we said. But TB agreed with what we said. Like, oh, That's by the way, Nicholas Milliken, you might want to talk to one of your board members because that's, that's, that's. That's yeah. the, that's the kicker to me is that they, there's as much as they're grassroots and fighting for democracy and rena, 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 um, the, at the end of the day, they don't agree at all about what they're on about. And this brings me to my final point. And then I know that your back's hurting, so we're going to wrap it up. No, I'm, uh, I'm okay. I'm angry. So, okay, cool. Well, then we can keep going. But my final point <laughs> is the great strength of the right is that they're over to able to overlook each other's problematic viewpoints in order to uh, achieve some of their political goals. 
And when you compare that to the left, as soon as you criticize the left. Oh, they don't like it. They don't like that at all. Are you going to the penalty box for a few months? This is what I'm saying. If and trust the left me. want to make any kind of a dent in the, the political landscape, they have to get past the... I hate using this phrase, but I'm going to purity tests that we see leveled all too often. And they have to realize that they have to overlook some things in some of the people that they play tag with. Because here's the bottom line. Even if you don't like that reality, the other side is doing it. Yeah. They are getting stronger. And if you don't start to say, hey, Maybe we disagree about, I don't know, backpack snowblowers. And that's, we're, we're always going to disagree about that. But in the interests of, I don't know, stopping the encroaching fascism, we're going we're gonna to work together anyways. We're going to just take that, that little item off the table. You can argue about that at your Thanksgiving dinners. I'll argue about this at my Thanksgiving dinners. But we're going to do everything that we can to stop this garbage. And it's not happening. The left just fractures and fractures and fractures. Get it together. That's all I'm saying. Back in my day, when I was, you know, more active with parties on Wednesday night, we would go have beers at the Canadian Press Club. After that, we would go across the street from Darcy McGee. We would have friendly bets between liberal staffers and conservatives. Yes, and I'm saying conservatives, us conservative staffers, us that worked in the full conservative circles, because, you know, it was not as cray-cray as it is today, 20 years ago, um, because, you know, there were still good people around, like Peter McKay. Um, I, I have a soft spot for Peter, so. Uh, but he's really nice. But... We were able to talk. We were able to, you know, drink too many. And if we lost a bet, we would go and crash a victory party somewhere. And then we would get kicked out because that's what we were doing. Or we would put all of our drinks on the opposition tab or, you know, we, it was fun. We would go for dinner. We would, um, you know, and nobody was insulting each other. Nobody, but that's, that's what it has come to. Those people cannot, those, some of them, their vocabulary is so limited that there's always an attach. Oh, sorry. There's always a, uh, sorry, I'm getting a phone call. <laughs> um, you know, it's always like, yeah, but your mom. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but you're so fat. Yeah, but oh, freedom. Look, start including more intelligent words into your rebuttals because we just see them. We just ignore them now. That's what we do. We're tired of it. You know, you think that you're a giant force. Okay, maybe you're going to be controlling the premier. But you know what? If it shows that you're controlling the premier, the province going to have enough. They're gonna not going to go with it because you guys are a minority. What's 20,000 of 4 million people, Nate? What percentage is that? I'm not that good at math. Point zero five, point that one, yeah, something like that. Right, you gotta put a bunch of zeros before you get to a real number. I, uh, you know, 
I know that. Um, sorry, I have a call from Ottawa coming in. Um, but no, so it's... <sighs> come on, guys, grow up. Do you really want your kids to? What kind of? A... <sighs> but it wouldn't be another week without you know that Western Standard and David Parker having a little hissy fit because oh, Sarah Big said something and we don't like it. It's true though. You're going to be gone for a while. We're going to, on Sunday. I'll, gonna, yeah, I'll stop by next Wednesday, maybe. I'll see where I'm at. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any plans. That's beautiful, though. Uh, mm -hmm. So on Sunday, just for any of our listeners that are currently listening to this episode live, or if you're listening to the podcast version, on Sunday, we're going to be dropping in the same style that uh, we regularly do these episodes. We're going to be dropping the conversation with Dr. Dwayne Bratt, where we're talking about his new book. Uh, and I shouldn't say his new book. He's one of the editors of the book. But the book is written with a variety of different chapters that have been contributed by some of the best and brightest political minds in Alberta right now. And it is, you know, you, you talk about, well, it's an academic book and a lot of people go, uh, that sounds really dry and horrible and I don't want to read it. I'm more than a third of the way through the book already. And uh, it's not dry. It's not horrible. There's some bits that are like straight up funny, but it's an incredibly accessible book. And we're going to talk to Dr. Bratt about what the book is, how it came to be, uh, and sort of what the content is all about. Um I'm taking and, it to Mexico with me. What's that? I'm taking it to Mexico with me. See, there you go. Um, so that's going to be our Sunday show. And then we'll be back with a live show on Wednesday with Sarah Biggs, maybe, maybe not joining us, depending on what the Wi-Fi is like in sunny places. Uh, and then the following Sunday, we're going to be dropping our interview with uh, economist Dr. Trevor Toom about the budget like I said at the beginning of the show, what can be done to fix it, uh, what Alberta needs to be looking at in the future, all of that kind of kind of good stuff. And uh, that's sort of the, the plans for the foreseeable future. But so happy wrap it up. Happy International Women's Day. Keep speaking your truth. Be an example for your daughters. Men, I'm looking at you. Be better. Be best. Is that language that you can understand? I sure hope so. You know, be, you know, it's in. This is why feminism cannot die. It's because women that are in untraditional, in the untraditional careers, or, you know, careers are extremely demanding and demanding extreme stress sacrifice. You know, it's like, even if I would be a nurse, okay, so I want to be a nurse, but I want to have family. I want to have family life. I want to go on vacation. I want to be there on Christmas. We always have to choose between our work and very often our kids and our family. And it sucks. I was away for four weeks, four days last week. I miss my daughter like crazy. I really do. And it's hard. But never, ever, ever be afraid of speaking your truth. And live up to your own expectations. Not some sort of untypical third-party advertiser that uses their own TPA to be a TPA to, you know, fluff the TPA. Don't, you know, use your anger for good, my dudes. Let's let, 
And, you know, very. I was surprised it was a lady that wrote that piece today. I'm a danger to democracy. My God. That's, that's funny. I'm five foot two. I don't think I'm very dangerous, but maybe I am dangerous with my words and my actions. Well, you know, those thought crimes, those are big deals. Um, yeah. I quickly just say to the comments, because I see uh, Galaxy Hunter 309 interview Mark Doran. Guess what? We did. And uh, it was an extended one. We also sat down with his, his cohort, who's currently running for the Green Party for a second interview. If you go back through our back catalog, you'll be able to see all of that stuff there. Andrew! <laughs> Oh, it sounds just like it reads on the Twitter machine. Um, oh my God, Andrew! I got I got to say, I, Andrew's been doing some of the going back to the. Uh, he always, you know, when it's always there. of Mr. Shandro uh, with his. He's always his there. Oh, Photoshop. Andrew. Andrew's been crushing it with that. Um, Andrew's always there. You know, when I need a little boost or he sees I'm kind of feeling down, always Andrew's always there. So thank you, Andrew. He's good people. Yes, I, I hope I look forward to seeing him running in an upcoming election. Hey, Andrew, call me. You got my number. All right. I want to say a big thank you to everybody who hung out in the comments section tonight. I want to say uh, everybody who's been contributing on the comments section. Who's thank you so much for for hanging out. I love the interaction that we have going on the comment section and all of the different ideas that are being exchanged. It is such, it's become such an important part of the show. So big thank you to everybody there. Big thank you to everybody who is listening in on the, the Twitter spaces as well. Um, we weren't able to get any, any Twitter spaces talkers tonight. Cause I think we kind of, we kind of got fired up a little bit there. That's okay. Um, I want to say a big thank you to anybody who's listening to the podcast version or anybody who's watching this video. After the fact, huge thank you for being involved and engaged. Um, as I mentioned earlier, one of the best ways that you can support the show is by signing up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab, where for just the price of a fancy cup of coffee or a shattered muffin, uh, you can... Help us to continue to produce the kind of content that we're trying to produce here and make the kind of jokes that we do. I also just want or, to quickly... Oh, 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 or for the cost of a $4 membership, like membership or whatever subscription they call it with TBA, you could support the breakdown. There you go. And then you, can add, shots. you, can, you can add them and say, hey, take back Alberta. I'm giving the breakdown money. I bet they'll love that. I, I'm wondering if they're going to have a fit about the contraception money. Well, probably. Everybody, I can't make that joke. Um, <laughs> I stopped myself. No, we can't. Um, Beef and cheddar, you RBs. No, Andrew. No. No. The only other thing that I want to address before we sign off for the evening is I love the comment earlier on that we got about how the writing on this show was so on spot for such short notice i hate to give away all of our secrets um we we don't do a whole lot of writing i don't i would usually walk in i don't even know what we're going to be talking about because i don't even listen to nate i'm just like hey nate let me know when you need me five minutes in because i'm old my back is shut and i was laying down on my couch because i can and it's a very nice couch too jonathan i'm sure you would be jealous of my couch 
We do come up with the wireframe before the show of the topics that we're going to talk about, and we take a, a general okay. idea of how we want to address them. But there's the 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 writing per se, unless it's like we do the writing, little little peek behind the the veil, if you will, because that's what the breakdown's doing this week. We're pulling back all the veils. Um, we do uh, do scripted episodes. So, for example, the True North episode that we recently did, that was a fully yeah. scripted episode. When we went after Canada Action, that was a fully scripted episode. When we did the the mask stuff with uh, Adriana LaGrange and her really nice contract to her buddies, that was a scripted episode. We try to be fairly clear about when they're scripted episodes and when they're just not that. So, just not that. Um, life is life. It's true. That's how you know we're speaking. True, though. That's why I have my hissy fits. Exactly. And you're not supposed to read the comments. Well, that was... Before we wrap it up, Sarah Biggs. I just hope that next week's going to be smooth sailing. Are you doing a cruise? No, I'm talking about Alberta politics. No, no, no. I, I went bathing suit shopping today. I'm set. I'm not packing a lot of clothes. I have a ton of books. My plans are to read, go put my feet in the sand, hang out by the pool, and sleep more naps and relax. I don't want to come back to a tire fire, okay? Nor an election, just saying. Well, it probably won't be an election, but I can almost guarantee it's going to be a tire fire. Um so I hope that you recharge well while you're gone. I am tired. As, there we go. As always, a big thank you to everybody. Like and share. Smash that subscribe button, as the kids say. And we will see you back here live in one week. In the meantime, take care of each other and keep the conversation going. Mm -hmm.